Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn more about us through zencare.org. Expert's mind. There are few possibilities. In the beginner's mind, there are unlimited possibilities. Which one do you have in this moment? To me, it's such a joyful thing to really consider that whenever we're caught in some version of our life, the way we're thinking about our life, off in some little tunnel, we're almost becoming experts as if we know how it is. So caught up And yet, there are unlimited possibilities always available. Imagine that. Allowing for unlimited possibilities. Not just your version. We've been studying a text called the Vimalakirti Sutra, in which this man has become sick because all beings are sick. Because all beings get caught up in attachment and clinging. He too. And it's this quite, this drama that we've been kind of exploring where the Buddha asked a bunch of people to go see the Makirti, make a house call. And they all have all these good reasons not to go. Like many of us have many reasons not to just participate freely. And then Manjushri agrees to go because he's asked to go. So they all go and like basically hundreds of thousands of people go into this eight by eight room. (laughs) (laughs) Which is in some ways the point of it is supposed to kind of blow your mind. It's actually the same size the Dogasan room is supposed to be, is based on this room. With infinite possibilities. And like in the Dogasan room, many people 
look through a tube and yet always infinite possibilities. And the sixth chapter is so wonderful and it's called Beyond Comprehension. So in case you're trying to comprehend what this is all about, what this practice is about, what your life is about. A wonderful reminder. It's beyond comprehension. What a wonderful thing to dedicate yourself to. Something that you will never comprehend and yet can give yourself Allow it to enter you. And Shariputra is there in the, amongst the group. He was one of the Buddha's main disciples. In a lot of these sutras, he's sort of the fall guy. He's the one who kind of is really in his head. Maybe like some of us. So they're all in this room and having this conversation. And it says, at that time, Shariputra, observing that there were no seats, salute, thought to himself, all these bodhisattvas and major disciples, where are they all going to sit? Have you ever been in an experience that is so wonderful and kind of awe-inspiring and then say, yeah, what's this all about? Where are the snacks? <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were on a retreat in the last few days. And at one point during the retreat, there was this amazing um, expression of music by a woman that is part of this sangha and has been cared for by this sangha, who offered back to the sangha her expression of singing bowls and her voice. It was extraordinary. In this place that used to be a Capuchin monastery, in this amazing room, her ethereal voice, and these beautiful bowls, all made out of different things, ashes and precious stones and And I was so moved that someone said that they could barely hear where they were going in and out of listening, going into their own story. And isn't that just how it is? Mm. 
It was so generous of that person to offer that. Because it's just like Shariputra. Thousands and thousands of bodhisattvas are in this eight by eight room and Shariputra's in his head thinking, where's everybody gonna sit? There are no seats. Same kind of story. How ordinary. Vilamakirti, knowing what was on Shariputra's mind, said to Shariputra, did you come here for the sake of the law or did you come for a place to sit? <laughs> did you come for truth or did you come for comfort? Many people talk about in this practice, wow, it's not very comfortable. Or on the retreat, people are saying, well, some people are saying, like, I thought this was going to be more relaxing. <laughs> I said to those people, that's called a spa, <laughs> not a retreat. But we retreat even on our cushions so that we can actually know the law, the truth of things. And yet we have this part of us, our conditioned part of us is saying, where are the seats, man? Where's the comfort? I didn't like how I felt. I don't like how I feel right now. It's not comfortable. And Vimalakirti says, well, did you come for comfort or the truth? One of the things that I love so much about this Sangha and about, in particular, on Monday nights, that we really have the option to actually say what's true. And I'm so happy that we can actually have a real range, that people don't come to this place and say, oh, I feel great, <laughs> all the time. Because how would that be true? if you're a person. But Shariputra said, no, I came for the law, not a seat. As if he could trick him. And Vimalakirti said, oh, Shariputra. As the Heart Sutra also says. So is everyone's always schooling poor Shari <laughs> So sweet. Even Avalokiteshvara. A seeker of the law doesn't concern themselves even about life or limb. Much less about seats. A seeker of the law seeks nothing in the way of form. Perception, conception, volition, and consciousness. He seeks nothing in the way of sense realms or sense media 
She seeks nothing in the threefold world of desire, form, or formlessness. All you have to do is seek nothing. Otherwise, you're just looking for a seat. I've been thinking a lot. I got the chance to spend a few days with my teacher, and and she would be the first to say that she hasn't had an easy life. Now in her 89th year, not too shabby. And coming to this place and seeing her come to this place of really seeking nothing, still learning, deeply practicing and investigating. O Shariputra, seeker of the law does not seek it through attachment to the Buddha. You can't even be attached to her. <coughs> to no idea. <coughs> I remember for years when I began practicing, years and years, I was sure I wanted to feel kind of like that all the time. Sassy. <laughs> <laughs> A seeker of the law does not attach to idle theorizing. Hmm, maybe the Dharma's this. Maybe Buddhism's about this. Hmm, maybe that. Maybe if I just fill in the blank. Maybe if we were on a higher floor, we wouldn't hear the traffic. Mm, then it would be good. I was having lunch with a very dear friend today, and, and they were sharing with me about that their child was having a really good time bouncing on the couch. And asked if it was okay to bounce on the couch. And they were like, you can bounce on the couch. And they were watching. And then they turned away for a moment. You know, coffee tables. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're terrifying terrified they were for their little boy, bringing him to the emergency room. The law, he says, is called unstained. 
But if one is stained with the idea of law, or even nirvana, which is the worst, then one is stained with attachment. If you think that you're not going to feel fear or worry when your child is hurt, stained with the idea of practice. doesn't mean not to feel fully whatever is true. The law has no goal of activity, not one. It's interesting, you know, Zen is full of traps, you know, and uh, <laughs> Some people think like, oh, I'm gonna get one of these rockasus, I'm gonna get a name, and then then <clears throat> then something. <laughs> I remember seeing my teacher's brown cushion, I'm like, I'd like to sit on one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I can see myself, you know. <coughs> How normal. But to be caught by that is where it gets tricky. To have the feeling. But then to think, oh, that's true, and I have to have it. Then we are stained. But to have the feeling, it's like, wow, that's a feeling of greed. That's a feeling of a fantasy of another life. As opposed to like, wow, I'm in this life having a fantasy of another life. My hunch is that maybe some of you have had fantasies of other lives <laughs> today. <laughs> How it could be. If only or when, blah, blah, blah. That is stained with the idea. Which probably just means you're a person. We get stained with ideas. The law has no goal of activity, not one. The law knows no picking and choosing. But if one picks and chooses the law, like, oh, I, I choose the Dharma, this is picking and choosing. I'm going to, I choose practice for myself. Picking and choosing. And this is not seeking the law. So where do you stand?
The law, he says, is not something you could ever reside in. If you try to reside in it, this is trying to reside in it. Really consider that. I know for years and years I was trying to reside in a lot of places. It doesn't mean not to have aspirations. It doesn't mean not to make effort. But how you have aspirations and how you hold your aspirations and the reality that we have no idea what the next moment brings. Very often on retreat, we do these experiences that Gokhan likes a lot, where people turn towards each other. <laughs> and at the end, we ask people to say goodbye to them, because you just don't know if you'll see them again. And almost every time I've ever done that, people laugh, ha ha ha. Say goodbye to them as if you're not going to see them again. People laugh. <laughs> as if that's not true. If we can just laugh about it, then it won't be true. But it's like the one thing that you can count on, that life is unpredictable. So how will you participate without seeking? It's amazing too, because in this tradition we think to have a way-seeking mind is really valued. But how do you have a way-seeking mind without seeking? The law, he says, is called unconditioned. If one tries to approach it through the conditioned, guess what? This is seeking the conditioned, not seeking the law. You can't go through it and walk the path in your typical way. We have to be willing to surrender everything that we know. We can't practice the path in the familiar when the path is unfamiliar. And yet, in the story, Shariputra can't let go of the seats. Like Phil McCarty's teaching him all these teachings, 
He says, Shariputra, if one could be a seeker of the law, one must not seek it in anything at all. But he can feel that Shariputra is still thinking about the seats. Have you ever been at a talk and you're still preoccupied? Maybe some of you have had a, that experience. Where you're not really there. You're kind of like, oh, let's go back to like what I'm having for dinner. So he turns to Manjushri and says, you visited countless thousands, ten thousands, billions of countries. A lot of countries. <laughs> what Buddha lands have the finest and most beautiful lion seats? Those that are endowed with the best of qualities. Maybe it's those folding chairs from Staples. And he says, you know, layman, to the east, beyond the countries, numerous as the sands of 36,000 Ganges rivers, lies a world called Sumeru Shape. There's a Buddha there named Sumeru, Lamp King. And they have the finest seat. So Vilma Kirti said, Fantastic. So he exercised his powers. And at once, that Buddha dispatched 32,000 lion seats into their eight by eight room that were tall, broad, adorned, and pure, all in the room. <coughs> and somehow the rooms felt broad and spacious enough to hold these 32,000 lion seats without the single feeling of crowding. Imagine that as your mind. Of course. No way feeling cramped or inconvenienced but just appearing usual, as most small rooms with 32,000 seats would feel. And Vilmakirti said to Manjushri, please sit down on the lion seats. The bodhisattvas and other distinguished people should also sit down, but please assume the size appropriate for the seats. The bodhisattvas who had acquired these powers thereupon immediately transformed their shape, making themselves 42 yojanas tall, which is very tall, <laughs> and sat down on their line seats. Imagine that. And what are they really talking about? What is your right size? But among the bodhisattvas who newly embarked on their course of practice, there were none that 
would, could climb into their seats. So feeling like, oh, I just started. <laughs> Those aren't really for me. Did you ever have that feeling? Oh, I don't really understand. And Vilmakirti turns to Shariputra and says, sit on your lion's seat. And Shariputra said, layman, those seats are way too tall, too wide. I, we can't climb up. I love this wide and tall. So like, how is it that we don't allow ourselves to be wide and tall? How is it that you just reduce your life to a narrow and small place? Who are you? And are you ready to not be so small and so narrow? To me, this is the kind of the mind of the expert with few possibilities. But he says that emancipation is beyond keeps trying to help Shariputra. But it's up to each of us to actually live that. If he went on, he says, to describe this in full, this beyond comprehension, I would just go on for a whole kalpa and never be done. A kalpa is as long as it takes for a bird with a little piece of silk in its beak to cross a great mountain and just brush the little piece of silk against the mountain. And each time it does that, it takes the time it would take for a bird to wear down the mountain. A long time. <laughs> a really long time impossible to explain. And yet this emancipation beyond comprehension is always available. Not available when we're small and narrow. Anisnen says, and then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a little bud was more painful than the risk 
it took to blossom. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a little bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Thank you.